Hi, my name is Cody Bumpus. I moved here from Redlands, California to Fredericksburg, Texas. I love the calmness of the Texas Hill Country and the serenity that Texas brought us. I'm here to share my story, my testimony in two and a half minutes. I knew that I loved the Lord and I knew as a kid that God was there to present himself in different forms and facets of my life. Growing up wasn't always so easy for me. I had a mom that was abusive. She hung out with bikers constantly, drugs, alcohol, fist fights. Back in the day, you can get away with that. Waking up with no dishes because they had done broken them all. Uh, my mom committed suicide when I was 11. I ended up in foster care where I was severely molested. Come on, Cody, come up here. Now here's what you need to know, all right? Here's what you need to know. When I videoed this at the very end, I had to cut off the video it was gonna, because he got his preach on. So I'm just warning you. Where's the colonel? I need his cane. I may, I may need a hook. So anyway, brother, just share it. Just finish that story. That's so awesome. Good morning, church. My name is Cody Bumpus. I came from Redlands, California. And I knew today was going to be a... A different day, I felt it waking up. But all glory to God, you know, big God, small me. Come on. Let me tell you something. I knew God prepped my life since I came out, the struggles and how, boy, I'm shaking. Good, bro. I knew when I was a kid and the Hells Angels were in my house constantly, I looked up to them because I had nothing else to look up to. And my mom committed suicide when I was 11. I was off to, to my aunt and uncle's house where my uncle started severely molesting me. And my mom's twin came up and it was on uh, Thanksgiving. I was washing dishes and my mom's sister, the one I moved with, her, my uncle was molesting me, said, you're not allowed, my, my aunt, my mom's twin, you're not allowed to go talk to Cody. He's washing dishes, leave him alone. My aunt said, no way. What's wrong with you? Something's not right here. My cousin came to me, we were washing dishes. I said, hey, I need you to give me your number. And he did, and we were thick as thieves as child, children. So he took this number and hid it in the restroom. And he said, bumps me as we're washing dishes. He says, it's under, it's, in, it's under that mat. You know the old people that had that furry mat on their toilet? I'm sorry if y'all have one of those, <laughs> but it was under. <laughs> but uh, it was under there, and I grabbed it and I put it in my pants, and I went home and hid it under the doghouse. And a week later, I went and I, uh, I called my aunt's phone number, and when I dialed it, it said this no, phone number is no longer in service. I walked away, and the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of me and said, no, Cody, not today. You're going to come back, and you're going to go to that phone, and you're going to dial that number again. And when you dial that number, something, a miracle's going to happen. And I, I used up all my, my change. So what I did is I called, I called, uh, dialed zero. And uh, this sweet black lady, I'll never forget her voice, comes on and goes, yes, how can I help you? And I said, ma'am, I'm being molested. And uh, I need to tell somebody, she goes, oh, well, what number are you dialing? I said, 790-9172. What's the prefix? I said, 951. She says, well, honey, the prefix has changed to 909. 
Let me punch that through for you. And my cousin answered the phone, and good God took me out of that horrible situation. And after my mom had committed suicide and my uncle started molesting me, I moved to my aunt's. My brother had blown his head off. I hated the Lord. I didn't understand why God had me going through so many just crazy things. People used to say to me, Cody, why do you wear black so much? Why are you always blacked out? And I said, because in the darkest of times that I thought there was no light, those dark moments of my life brought me to the light, brought me to know God. It's some, underneath all the underlying craziness. I've been through drugs and alcohol and where my family was the abuser, I became the abuser, didn't know any different. I, I was raised that way, been to rehab. It changed my life, going on two years sobriety. Mom. I am blessed with a beautiful wife and amazing children that I do not deserve, but because Christ has given them back to me because I fell on my knees and said, God, give me a second chance. I'm blessed with Barbie and Kyle Biederman who have given me an opportunity to shine in a situation that only God could present. And I'll tell you what, God has put on my heart to be a pastor and I'm not passing that up. Come on, come on. I am not passing it up for nothing. This town will change and I will share the testimony only for the glory of God. Jeremiah 29 11. And we all know that. Don't ask me to say it because I'll mess it up. But I'm still shaking because I'm in awe of God and awestruck yeah, of the things on. that he does for our lives. What should have been used for bad and how dark it was, God has turned it into a 100% bright light we can't even see through. And really, I'm just here to say I'm thankful for y'all and opportunities. And I knew something weird was going to happen. Boy, was that weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I love every each and one of you like God loved me and gave me a second chance. Right. And what I always tell people, what people want to do with your testimony is up to, it's, it's on them. That's between them and God. We got to go vertical. We got to understand what God has for our lives and not be afraid of it. We change. But you got to put your your nose in the word. That's right, brother. That's right. I think you're not preaching today. Hey, why don't you pray? Pray. Let's have him pray. I want you to pray for the service. Pray for what God's doing right here. Father God, Lord, I ask that you bring your angels down with flaming swords to let this community and this church just take off, Father God. Raise up pastors and men and women yes. that love each other, that will surround each other with the word of God, Father God. I say you preach it, Lord. I love you, Father God. I love you for the opportunities in bringing us to this church, Lord. I ask for that Holy Spirit to engulf us and to give us opportunities, turn our shame into something wonderful, awestruck, Father God. We love and praise you with every word we speak, Lord. In the name I pray, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen, my brother. Come on. Yeah, love you, man. Awesome. Awesome. I am, <laughs> I am all struck by what God is up to. I'm telling you, this whole morning has been like that. Uh, I love, you know, you love technology, but God is the God of technology, right? He, he's over it, and He can do anything He needs to do. We needed to hear that, Cody, from you, from your heart. 
number of years ago, I was a youth minister in Comanche, Texas. Anybody know where Comanche, Texas is? I was a youth minister at a Baptist church there. I was a seminary student as well. And uh, they had brought me onto the staff, and they did not know what they were getting. I mean, it's kind of like Cody stepping up. You didn't know what you're getting. You, they just didn't know. And so I, I was young and excited, and I, and I got up there, and, and I looked around. There were like 15 students in this church. I'm like, what? The high school is across the street. I could hit her with a rock from where our church building was. The middle school was right there, typical small town. They're right there. And I'm like, okay, that's wrong. So I started going over at lunch to the high school. No one knew who I was but some teachers. And uh, I started inviting students to come over after class to help me flip a room and turn it into a youth room. Now, what we didn't tell the deacons of the church, notice I didn't say elders, deacons. What I didn't tell them is that the student ministry, because we had a vision for reaching the high school and the middle school for our little town, that we were going to actually take over the fellowship hall. Now, this was a nice fellowship hall. It had little brass plaques on everything. I mean, it was pretty. All the equipment was nice. I mean, it, it looked like no one had ever been in there, and that was kind of the case. So I thought, this is a perfect space for a student room. So we set up ladders, we even got a scaffolding, and I began inviting students to come help me decorate. Well, within a couple of days, the word got out, and we, we saw 20 students, 30 students, 60 students, and then more. And for whatever crazy reason, only God knows, is that I looked up on like Thursday or Friday afternoon, and the place is packed with students coming to help coming to decorate. They were doing banners and streamers. I mean, the place was pretty destroyed, to be honest. I mean, it was just like crazy. And then what happened was, on that like Thursday of that week, I noticed a group of guys, every time I'd go to lunch, and they were awesome. I love these guys. They were skaters. You may remember skaters back in the day. And they were skaters. They had Metallica t-shirts on. So I thought, man, these are my kind of guys. They're, they're so on fire for something just for the wrong thing. But that, that passion's there for a reason. In fact, it's God-given. It's just been misdirected by the enemy. So I saw the potential in them. And so I, I went up and, and uh, invited them to come. They're like, yeah, dude, whatever, you know. So I get over to the, to the church that afternoon. Students are showing up. There's this buzz in the air. In walks this group of skaters. They got their skateboards. They got their, they got their uh, vans on. They've got their... They're Metallica t-shirts, and I'm going, man, I love these guys already because they, they're, they're, they're just copping an attitude. They're, just, they're, they're, they're showing out. They're covering up. They're masking. And I get it because, you know, don't kid a kidder, right? Takes one to know one. And so I said, so I walk right up to him. I go, hey, man, I'm glad you guys are here. Pick up that paintbrush. I need you on that ladder. Here, take this. You help them hang that banner. And these guys didn't know what hit them. Before long, within a few minutes, they were all working with everybody else. And I stood back, and I thought, this is the kingdom. This is what the kingdom looks like. A bunch of messed up people all coming together to do something that matters. In that group, every one of those guys stepped over the line to follow Jesus subsequently because let me tell you something, God, when he called me to ministry, he put a fire in my belly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, 
I'm 56, it's not going down, it's just increasing. I'm not coasting in for anything. That song we sang, I'm going to spend the rest of my life on the altar of God because fire falls on sacrifice. And if you don't have an offering for the altar, then get on the altar yourself and say, Father, release your fire and let the fire burn because it burns perpetually on the altar. So we put ourselves on the altar. So, I, I, man, I was all in with these students. Kids are getting saved right and left. Skaters, headbangers, rockers. I was a rocker too. I actually had a mullet back then. And, uh, and uh, played lead guitar in a band. We had a Christian rock band. And Christian rock was kind of taken off back late 80s there. And uh, then one night, I, they didn't show up. And then, I, and then I heard that they were out smoking pot. I'm like, what? All these guys stepped over the line, got baptized, I know it was for real, but they'd step back. I know none of you have ever done that. None of you have ever stepped back into old habits and old patterns, right? This is just them, those guys. So I was so, so grieved. I wasn't mad. I was grieved. And that fire burned in my belly. And so I got in my 1972 Volkswagen Beetle. Come on, somebody. I still remember the smell of that car. And the fact that I had bailing wire underneath the battery because those were notorious for rusting the battery compartment out. And they would fall out, the battery would fall on the ground. So I got in my Beetle and I drove the 35 miles from Comanche to Brownwood because they were cruising the drag in Brownwood. And I cried out the whole way there. I was crying out to God on behalf of these, these young men, saying, Lord, they stepped over the line. They said they were going all in. They said they wanted you, but now they're, they're, they're already being pulled back into the world. And by the time I got to Brownwood, I was prayed up, I was cried out, and I was fed up with the devil, and I was ready to fight. And I go downtown in my Volkswagen bug. Oh, man. And I'm driving my Beetle downtown, and it's packed with young people. And I'm driving around looking for these guys with tears in my eyes. I finally find them. I pull up behind them and I'm flashing my lights. And they're like, what is this Volkswagen back here? And they realize it's me. I could tell because they were like, oh, and I saw stuff flying in the car. Like I said, don't kid a kidder. I know every trick in the book trying to cover your sin. I pulled them over. We pulled over in a parking lot there off downtown. And I, I stepped out. And I mean... I, I was just with all the passion I had and all the fire of God in my belly. I just said, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? You stepped over the line. Why are you going? What are you doing? And I said, if you're for real with Jesus, I basically drew a line in the sand. I said, if you're for real, I'm not saying another word to you. I just want you to know God loves you. I love you. And if you're for real, I'm about to get in my car and I'm driving back to Comanche. And if you're for real, I want to see you following me back. I walked away because they were all kind of like trying to bow up and not look cool like they're not getting scolded by their youth minister on the drag in front of everybody. So they're trying to be cool. And I just thought, so I got in my car. I headed back, tears streaming down my face, crying out. I look up, their car's behind me. They followed me all the way back, 35 miles back to town. Why do I tell you that story? It's because when you go all in with Jesus, He begins to drop the scales off your eyes where you begin to see what you didn't see before. 
In fact, if you're anything like me and you're all in with Jesus, you have a difficult time watching the news in the evening or listening to a news channel. Because all of the darkness, all the negativity, all the brokenness, if you have eyes to see, it can sometimes be difficult to see those things. Jesus said that we're to lift up our eyes for the harvest is right here and now. A while back, Max, about a year ago, sat down with me and some others, and he said, I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. This is our senior leader, Max Lucado. He says, brothers, I, th- I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me in prayer this morning, and I believe He has told me that a harvest is coming. A harvest of souls, of people stepping, I, that's my word, of people coming to know Christ as Savior and being baptized. That's Max's version. Mine is people stepping over the line, going all in, pushing their chips to the middle of the table of their life and saying, I want Jesus. Well, I took that as a word from God. I took it as gospel. And I've taken that to my heart for over a year now, and I've been declaring. I've received harvest in my mind. I'm speaking harvest with my mouth. And I'm leaking harvest with my person. Why? Because I believe it's the word of the Lord. Do you believe that God wants to pour out His fire of evangelism and His presence and His Spirit over our community and the surrounding area? Amen. That was weak. At some point, we stop playing around and loving God from afar and we come near. Tammy Stevenson, first grade, I loved her from afar because she was on the other side of the room at Wheelock Elementary in Lubbock, Texas. I didn't know Tammy, but from afar, I was infatuated. From afar, I thought about what it would be like. You're first grade, right? I don't know what it would be like. I'm like, I'm just, I just, I like her from afar. But you know what? I never knew Tammy Stevenson. And if this is online and she hears this, bless her heart. It was real, I'm just saying, for a first grader. I never got to know Tammy Stevenson's up close. Why? Because it was from afar. My concern as a pastor and someone whom the Lord has put spiritual government on is that we have a lot of people in our churches that are loving Jesus from afar. And you're afraid to come close and afraid to draw near. You're afraid to open your eyes, to lift up your eyes, to look up. Because it's hard when you see all these people. All these people. John, chapter 6, verse 1. You can look at the screen or look at your Bible. I want to just dive right into this without much fanfare. Because Jesus is going to challenge us. And He's going to model for us what it looks like to look up, to lift up your eyes and to see all these people because there's a reason why He wants us to look up. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed Him. Notice that word, multitude followed Him because they saw His signs which He performed on those who were diseased. He healed the sick. Remember what a sign is? 
A sign isn't a goal. A miracle isn't a goal. A wonder isn't a goal. A sign merely points to a greater reality. The sign that says Lukenbach is not Lukenbach. It's a sign that points to a greater reality. You stop at the sign, people are going to think you're weird and you're blocking the road. You need to keep moving because the reality is further down the road. The signs that Jesus did were to point to Him and who He was. The signs that follow those who believe, which are us, that render people awestruck, are not to set us up so that people go, oh my gosh, you're amazing that you did that. You're amazing that you have the faith for that. No, God's amazing that He would allow me to participate in that. Amen. We're asking you two things. Be open to a miracle and be a part of a miracle. Because God wants to involve us in everything that He's about. That's the kind of God we serve. He's a good Father. And He's like, let's go. We're better together. Let's do this. Then a great multitude followed Him because they saw the signs. So they were going after Him because of the signs, because the signs were pointing to something. They were curious. They didn't know. Not everyone knew who He was yet. Verse 3, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat with His disciples. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And that's John 6. Now, understand, the reason He went up on the mountain is what? It's the Lake of Galilee. It's not a sea. It's an inland lake. And what it is, it's, it's like a natural amphitheater that's formed. Jesus would often stand at the base of a hill and speak up to the crowd, or would sometimes even stand out on a boat. Because the sound carried on the water, he could talk to hundreds and even thousands of people without a microphone, without a PA system. Why? Because it was a natural amphitheater. So he's there. They're up on the hillside. So you can imagine they're all sprawled out. And look what happens. There he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover was here. Verse 5. Then Jesus, notice the phrase, lifted up his eyes. And that's really what I think he's saying to us right now. Will we lift up our eyes? Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude, seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, quote, where should we buy bread for all these people? All these people coming. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what was about to happen. Why? Because the Father had revealed to him what was about to happen. That's Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. So Jesus knew what was coming, but he's testing Philip to see if Philip, if he'll bite. <laughs> will, you, will you go with me? Look what happens. Philip answered him, 200 denarii. By the way, it's nearly a year's wages right there. Worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may even have a little. He's like, that's not even enough for, for just everybody getting a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a kid, lad, New King James. There's a kid here. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves. The reason he said barley is because it was the poorest of the poor. Anybody remember being a college student and Top Ramen was your favorite food? That's barley loaves. It's the, it's the poor of the poor. It's the least. It's, it's the least kind of food. There's a lad here who has a fish and chips dinner from Long John Silver's. Barley loaves, two small fish, but... What are they among so many? You know, he started off really good there. Man, there's somebody here. I've got faith. Here's a, here's a meal. Here's something to start with. And then he craters. But what are they among all these people? All these people. All these people. 
Then Jesus said, verse 10, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass on the place. Remember the hillside we talked about? So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Here's what you need to understand. They only numbered the men. That's why it even indicates the men were 5,000. Which means we just biggie-sized this miracle potential. We went from 5,000 to potentially 20,000. When you talk about children, wives, families... And there's all sitting on this. Here's a picture. I remember being at uh, Reunion Arena in Dallas many years ago. Texas Baptist Evangelism Conference. 20,000 students from all over Texas. And Erwin McManus gave one of the greatest messages I've ever heard on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I've never forgotten it since. But I know and remember what 20,000 people look like in one building. And I can't, it's hard to even shift from seeing that building full and then 20,000 people lined up on a hillside. Can you imagine if you were in the cheap seats on the hill? Jesus is down here with His disciples at the base, probably right around the water line. You're up here in the cheap seats, the nosebleed section, and you're looking way down the hill. The mountain, as it says. Now look what happens. Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to the disciples. All right, so you got the disciples there. They're getting this food, and then look what happens. And the disciples, to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Wait a minute, something's happening here. So in between Jesus saying, thanks for the food, and Him handing the food to the disciples, and the food's taking, the disciples taking it to the people, something is happening where there is now a creative miracle at work where all these baskets now are full and overflowing, and as they're handing out the food to 20,000 people, this didn't happen in 15 minutes, then you can imagine people are going, whoa, what's going on? And can you imagine the ripple effect up the hill? Use your sanctified imagination. Look up that hill. Be up at the top of the hill looking down, and you would be doing this. You'd be wondering, what is going on down there? What's all the ruckus? What's the commotion? You're leaning over to your Jewish neighbor and saying, I'm hangry in Hebrew. Or, yeah, you know, you're like, I'm hungry, but look, what's going on? By the way, they added that to the dictionary this year. Did you hear that? It's actually a word now. So, FYI, it was for free. Here, they're looking down the hill and all this, ro- this ruckus. And it's rippling up the hill. And they're like, what is going on? What's happening? People are laughing down there. They're having a great time. What is happening down there? And finally, get, you get word There's food. Where did it come from? Jesus. And by the time they get up to you, they've got a basket and it's overflowing with bread and fish and they're just handing it out as fast as they can and it's not empty. It never, in fact, every time they hand it, there's another one there. Can you imagine seeing this creative miracle? We read these stories and we just sort of default into, oh, that's good, that's cool. 20,000 people fed with one fish dinner. We need to open our eyes. We need to lift up our eyes and realize that Jesus is who He says He was. He did what He said He would do. And God touched everything He did. Why? So that our eyes would be open to how awesome He is. So that we would truly be struck with all. That we would be a people who are all struck. Verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves. When He had given thanks, He distributed as much as they wanted, verse 11, verse 12. So, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. 
Let me tell you something in love. God never wastes anything in the kingdom. Amen. Your pain will not be wasted. It is not for nothing. Your suffering will never be wasted by God because He wastes nothing. Your loss, your tragedy, your trauma, your catastrophe, nothing is wasted in the kingdom. God is the greatest economist. He will turn and work things on your behalf for good because you love Him and because He cares. The God who causes all things to work together. Not the God who causes all things, but causes all things to work together. So things happen. Stuff happens in life. Shift happens in life. Wheels fall off. Things break. Tragedies occur. But nothing is wasted. And when you have that perspective, you can praise Him in the middle of your bar ditch. You can praise Him in the middle of a hospital room. Or like Ken and Monette last week had the privilege to praise Him in the middle of what should have ended their lives in a, car in a car crash on Saturday. And yet they were sharing the gospel with doctors and nurses and praying with doctors and nurses in the hospital. Why? Because they get it. Their eyes are open. Look what happened. They gathered them up, filled up 12 baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. There's so much food, so much abundant... By the way, God is the God of not just enough, but the God of more than enough. Amen. All right, I need to say that again because some of you didn't get that. He is the God of more than enough, not the God of just enough. He is El Shaddai. That means God Almighty, God of more than enough, not God El Chipo. I'm just going to give you just enough. Just enough so you'll get by. Just enough for you and your little family. No, God loves you so much that He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. God of more than enough because He wants to give you. And I'm not talking money. I'm talking about hope. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about life. And I'm talking about the fire of God for the gospel. He wants to give you so much that everywhere you go, you're overflowing, leaking out, and you can't help but talk about Jesus everywhere you go. Not from afar, Tammy Stevenson. Up close and personal, Jesus. I just want you to know I love you so much that I am praying very dangerous prayers for you. Don't let that scare you. I am praying that the fire of evangelism will fall upon us. That it will be like catching a wave, not creating a wave. We don't create the wave, we just catch it. We posture ourselves, we position ourselves, and we ride the wave that God brings. And we ride this wave. I am praying that you will be so on fire for Jesus that everywhere you go, people are going, what is up with you? You weren't like this last week. Well, all I can say is I received an impartation in the midst of worship, in the midst of prayer, in the midst of a message, and I just can't stop talking about Jesus. That's not Tammy Stevenson across the room. That's Jesus with you, in you, in your heart, in your life. Why? For the same reason I drove 35 miles weeping to meet, catch those guys. It's called love. Compelled by love. I said this earlier. Fire falls on sacrifice. Are you willing to be on the altar of God? 
So that when we look up and see the multitudes, Jesus looked up and saw them. When we see them, we will be compelled, moved. The word compassion, the scripture, I'm sorry, it's just the word and it's defined in Greek this way. It's a moving of the bowels. I didn't make that up. I'm just reporting. It means you're wrenched in your gut. And when Jesus looked up, he was wrenched in his gut because there's 20,000 people coming over the hill. And he's like, all right, God, this better be you. Now, look what happened. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Let's end with these three simple points in Scriptures. Lift up your eyes. This is three things we need to do. We need to lift up our eyes, look to see what God's up to, And then we simply align ourselves. We simply get in alignment with what He's up to. I'm not telling you to go out and start banging your Bible over people's heads. I'm saying just be so aware of what God's doing, you're simply moving into and getting in alignment with what He's doing, and then you ride the wave wherever that wave takes you. It's not that complicated. So that we carry the gospel into where we live, into where we work, and into where we play. Well, Pastor Jimmy, what's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived, and He died the death that we should have died in our place. Three days later, He rose from the dead, proving that He's the Son of God. And that if anyone, whosoever will, receive His gift, His free gift of salvation they will be given eternal life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And that is what you and I are called to carry into this world. I'll end with this. In China, there's an underground church. The organization I used to be a part of put a lot of effort, money. We sent people over to the underground church. I never got to go, which I'm sad about. There, there are literally, just so you know, there are more Christians in China right now today than there are in America. And it's illegal to be a Christian in China. The Three Self-Patriotic Church, which is the government-mandated, approved church, is dead in the water. It's just a fact. It's just a, a shell. There's nothing. There's no life there. It's because it's government-monitored, overseen, approved, And so they're not going to let anything happen. Beautiful church buildings in the middle of China. But the real church in China, which is the underground church, is proliferating so fast that it's into the multiple millions of believers. And they, at their own risk and at great peril, will walk miles to be at a worship service to gather with other believers and hope that somebody will bring a message from the Bible. I watched a documentary and this particular group followed in with cameras a group, a a church in China that was meeting in secret, in hiding. They had to get caravaned in undercover. They had to hide in the car. These are guys with camera, these little, they've got cameras and they're down in the floorboard as they're trying to get through this area and they go into this rundown, dilapidated building where no one should be and it's exactly what this church was looking for, and on the 12th floor of this dilapidated building, 
They hike up 12 flights in hiding, in secret. People are coming and staging their appearances so they don't appear to be going and meeting together. And so people are just coming in all day long, filtering in so it doesn't look suspicious. And with cameras running, they get up on the 12th floor and they go in and they open the door and all of these people, all these people who at the risk of their freedom and the risk of their lives, the risk of their jobs and their livelihood, when they, when they walk in with the cameras, they're all on their knees on a hard floor. It's like a tile or some kind of floor like a linoleum or something. And they're all on their knees with their hands extended and tears are running down their, their, their face. And there's a guy with a guitar horribly out of tune, playing, and they don't care. All these people. Somebody in China caught a vision that no matter what the cost is, they're going to crawl up on the altar and they're going to be the sacrifice and God has brought fire on the sacrifice. Some of us, and I do say this with the utmost love, but this might sting a little bit. Some of us are concerned that we're four minutes over time right now. Some of us are concerned or, or had to make a decision of, do I want to go to church today? Eh, be there next week. Eh. And these people will walk for miles just to hear the gospel. Look up. Lift up your eyes. I'll take it another level. Wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to not play games in the Texas Hill Country with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's some of you today that need to step over the line and go all in. Because you're still loving Tammy Stevenson from across the room. And Jesus wants to be close to you right here, right now. And so, in love, compelled by love, the same reason I drove 35 miles in a Volkswagen to connect with those boys, I, the same drive drives me to say, will you step over the line? And you don't have to know everything. You don't have to figure it out. Just say, I'm on the altar, Lord, bring fire. Because fire always falls on sacrifice. Father, I'm on the altar. Let it, I'm going to lift my eyes up. I'm going to see there's multitudes that need Jesus. Thousands came into our community. Oh, Lord, I hope you didn't try to cross Maine or even go downtown this week. Thousands. It is amazing. Multitudes. But did any of us see them for what they are? People in need of Jesus. Oh, Pastor Jim, you're so radical. You're so over the top. You're so... No, no, no. I'm at ground zero. I'm not even one of the wild ones. I'm just somebody who's compelled by Jesus. Because he's not across the room. He's right here. He's right here. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we just right now, just thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Lord, there's no condemnation in this word today, but only, com only to be compelled to say yes to you, Jesus. To say, use us. We're here for you, sons and daughters. Father, if there's anybody in this room who's never gone all in, never stepped over the line. I didn't say they weren't a church member. Didn't say they weren't religious. Didn't say they weren't raised in church. 
but they've been loving you from afar. But Lord, maybe today, maybe this moment is their moment to draw near. Your word tells us in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, that if we will draw near to God, you will draw near to us. So Lord, for those this morning who are going to take the first step, the first step of the rest of their lives and the rest of their eternity, Lord, I ask you, Lord, grip their heart and may they step over the line to say, I want Jesus as my Savior and ultimately the Lord of my life. So in Jesus' name, Lord, release, release your love, your grace over every person here. We love you and honor you. Use us as a people to make a difference this next week that we may leak out passion, love, and life. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen.